Okay, check, baby, check, baby, one, two. Let's see how this sounds. All right, I think that's good. Let's go with this uh, this week. Welcome back, y'all. Uh, does not look like we had many downloads on this last one about my friend uh, that passed away, but it, uh, it, I wasn't expecting many of them, so now we're on the 13th podcast. So I took... Uh, I took last week off in honor of Kamala, and I do urge anyone listening to this one to first go back and listen to old girl, have a day, have a rough day, but uh, I was looking through the list, we did chapter 14 uh, on the 24th of November, chapter 1 on the 17th November, and those are the, I think when we switched to Saturdays from Fridays, uh, I forget why. I think I went to that Jesuit game when I got sick as hell. Because we would do it on Fridays for a few weeks. We did chapter 6, chapter 15, chapter 2, chapter 8, chapter 12, 3, 5, 16. We have not done 4. So I'm going to do chapter 4. I called it Sunday the Delayed. Uh, it was there. Probably, probably not. Uh, not one of my favorite well I wound up being friends with the girl for a couple of years but it was uh, it was definitely uh, not one of my most <laughs> proud moments let's put it that way I think it was probably one of the more lowest uh, of the low points of this whole uh, of, of the book but anyway I'll let you decide for yourself and I got I sold uh, I had one person buy and one person read through uh, my poems book, so I was pretty happy about that. And my dog seems to be licking, sorry if he's making some background noise, but he won't move to the other side of the couch. Um, still no guest, not this time, not today, not tonight. Would love if anybody wants to be on the show, uh, <laughs> you know, or... Uh, I'm hoping one of these days I get on the Theo Vaughn show or score one of the big ones. I don't know about the Joe Rogan show, but maybe the Theo Vaughn show would be cool. Uh, but he just started interviewing Tucker Carlson, so I don't know about all that crap. But uh, And he was on the college game day, so he may be too high line, uh, too high dollar. But uh, anyways, I'm going to start it up and uh, play a few minutes and then I'll cut it back and then uh, I'll try to throw a poem in there too. So appreciate y'all coming back. Thanks again. Saturday night, uh, December 9th, 7 o'clock, 7.09. Peace. Chapter 4. Sunday Delayed. Because you remind me of the struggle. Diplo. I've got a theory that extra special moments in life only happen on Sunday nights. I think it's why most award ceremonies are scheduled for Sunday nights and lots of conferences start Monday morning. So the night before kicks off the special deal making. Some of the most interesting people I've met made dinner reservations at nine o'clock in the evening on Easter Sunday or Mother's Day. The Pinnacle Vodka representative chose Sunday night to change the course of my bars forever 
by introducing me to whipped cream and cotton candy vodkas over dinner at the foundation room. Lucky for me, Virginia's flight home was delayed one Sunday night, and that's how we met. Her first profile pic centered her butt being slapped by another girl, both wearing UNR football jerseys with thongs underneath. Her thick legs and curvy hips first caught my eye. Then her perky boobs, covered in glitter, made my dick throb. I noticed she was online, so I favorited her, and shortly afterward, she sent me a message saying thank you. She messaged me that I was handsome, my profile sounded cool, and she was bored stuck in the San Jose airport asking, W-Y-D. She was a senior at the University of Nevada at Reno, and returning from a student government class trip, so we had that in common. She said her flight was delayed at least another hour, and asked if I wanted to FaceTime so she could see I was real. We jumped on the call, and I'm glad we did. She was an energetic and charismatic hustler. She was also a cheerleader, but had to quit to focus on student government and dating guys in their 30s. Her dad was a lobbyist, named her after one of the oldest towns in Nevada. He met her mom at the Mark Twain Museum, and she didn't know what to do after law school. Months later, Miss Class President would FaceTime me at 3 in the morning after doing too much coke with some guy she met on Tinder. She was calling me for backup while arguing with the Uber driver and asking me why everyone thought she was a spoiled bitch. Then switched topics to complain about the guy because he couldn't keep his dick hard and that's why she was in the Uber calling me. Like most annoying drunks, she kept repeating herself, but I stayed on the line until she was safe. Then she started fucking with the driver, yelling for him to pull out his dick and hung up on me. I could tell she didn't have many girlfriends, only the one from the football jersey pick, Jess. Maybe she fucked all her friends' boyfriends or dads and can only get along with other girls who fuck their friends' boyfriends and dads too. She complained about all the boys around her and how she wanted to fuck their dads so they would grow up. When she finally got home after the delayed flight, we became Snapchat friends. She wanted me to see her fully naked fingering herself all that first Sunday night. I had yet to be Snapchat friends with someone as highly ranked a user as her, and she really made me realize how fun that app can be. My phone would light up all day from those first few weeks, several nude pics and videos of her rolling in bed and tickling her pussy. These weren't snaps. She sent real video files that'll last forever, and I'm sure she knew that. Then I got curious, and after saving them to my photo album, I noticed they'd auto-sort by date. Some were taking months before we met, and some the same day, so she sent me her greatest hits. I began to wonder if this is what catfishing looked like, and the FaceTime the first day was a decoy. Maybe this is how it starts. Okay, uh, I do get the chills thinking about this one every now and then, because uh, this girl is just flat out insane at times. Uh, but then, like, really cool and smart and sharp and innocent at other times, but pretty... Uh, yeah, I I definitely remember. I definitely remember the sun coming in the window of my bathroom as I was reading the text and the, going back and forth with this girl before she wanted to FaceTime me. Um, and then when she would send me all the snaps and the pictures, I still see them because I been I saved them, and uh, I it brings me back. It sends me right back to. Uh, you know, to that time. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit more. And uh, 
I, I didn't listen to the whole thing, but I might listen to a little bit more of this one. And then, uh, uh, yeah, I hope you uh, all enjoy. And, uh, you know, I, there's a, I mentioned a politician at the end. I don't know if anybody really guessed who he is, but um, I'm definitely, uh, uh, I definitely don't remember his full name, but I definitely remember they had a lot of fun together. But anyways, uh, peace. Her bluntness and aggression were a pleasant surprise, but tough to manage when she was fucked up. She was very proud of her body, and I was hooked on the pics as they kept getting dirtier and dirtier. Then she sent me a few more thong pics of her only friend Jess and a video of them singing a Diplo verse. Something about dripping sugar and licking it up. I watched in awe over and over. She seemed genuinely disappointed despite so much success in school that she hadn't met an adult man to choke, spank, and fuck her brains out. She also liked using toys, watching porn, and inhaling whippets. Sounded perfect to me. All three are sold in the same store. Easy date to prepare for. I missed the days of ordering pizza and going through a couple boxes of whippets when we couldn't find weed. I couldn't wait to meet her and use the excuse of the Rebel game, also the Reno homecoming weekend, to book a flight and room. After finding a decent deal at the Whitney Peak for Friday and Saturday night, I sent her the confirmation info and didn't hear back for almost an hour. Maybe the longest hour of my life. One of the most pathetic hours for sure. I got paranoid and tried not to overthink it too much while the clock ticked. I made a mental note that next time I'll wait a couple of weeks before making travel plans to bang internet strangers. This was an especially unique weekend, and I don't know why I had to cram this trip onto an already full plate. I think it's part of the addiction. I was sad about having broken up with Melissa a few months before. I just banged the girl on her way to Germany, so I was getting my wings back. But I was also depressed because we were closing our Luxor and Mandalay stores after an awesome five-year run. The casinos were not renewing our lease, but told our vendors that they bought us out. This is still a mystery to me, and I keep thinking about the night one of the Wirtz beverage representatives called me late and drunk. He was genuinely congratulating me for selling to MGM, asking what I planned to do next, and my heart stopped. They decided not to renew our lease, which isn't the same narrative as they bought us out. He wouldn't say who he heard it from, but he left a party, and that's what they were talking about. He figured I already knew. Shit moves fast when collapsing. Maybe they did pay off some of my partners. I didn't ask. It seems crooked, but not impossible that MGM would spread the buyout rumor. We made too much money and we knew it. They told us they wanted to run the stores themselves, so the last half decade of my life was dissolving before my eyes. I was depressed and in denial, but after a certain age, five years goes by quickly. I tried escaping the stress of losing businesses by chasing young ladies and lost everything in the process. My next book will chronicle the deals and entrepreneurial exploits I've juggled and the lessons learned throughout. A month or two before this, I traveled to Portland to see a former coworker and longtime friend, Amanda. I told her I wanted to check out the local dispensaries to find if any were selling drinkables, and she gave me tips on where to stay. She was the sexiest hostess who openly had a crush on me when I was a nearly engaged dining room manager and her boss. I didn't act on the multiple urges and impulses each shift and regretted it more than any other missed sexual opportunity of my life. 
She'd had the same boyfriend for several years, and I knew they weren't going to last forever, but wanted to catch up in hopes of eating it one day. More than 10 years ago, we ran the front door of a busy Creole restaurant on the Strip every Sunday brunch. Each week felt like Groundhog's Day. We either had a blast or got crushed. She was the best at charming the guests and tackling the busiest shifts packed with reservations. It was sensual, flattering, and frustrating knowing she had a crush on me and I was nearly engaged to a former showgirl I recently made quit. For weeks, I begged a chef buddy at another restaurant to hire her as a daytime bartender so we could keep dating. I knew how the family handled internal romances and typically parted ways with the one they spent the least amount of time with. The details were described in the handbook my ex didn't read, but I was well aware of them. For y- Okay, okay, I now I remember. I probably went a little overboard in this one, just like I probably went overboard in a few of them, but... Uh... It was my first uh, my first book, you know, so writing it, I pretty much came off with no filter, so. And it, it, it does, though, this, this chapter is the one that kind of holds me back from sending this one to the friend that I mentioned in here, because I still keep in touch with her, and I would love for her to know I wrote this, but it does seem a little, um, a definite, uh, you know, I'm certainly a... Uh, <laughs> uh, going all gawking over her but anyways uh i'm gonna put the last part of it together and i'm gonna plug it in and look i if anybody that's been following from the first one for the first show uh the weatherman in vegas is the reason why i did this podcast after he sent me a note or somebody impersonating him sent me a note using ted florendo with cbs uh to my website and I still have not let him know I've done this podcast and I'm thinking about it. I don't know if uh, this is the, if I should wait and get all the chapters out. And that's probably my game plan. But uh, anyway, I wanted to mention that because of the, uh, my friend passing away and it might make it a good, a good timing to go and uh, to touch base with this guy. I wonder why it's getting so streamy like this. Anyways, I hope you all enjoy. Take care. Peace. Years. Amanda was close to the top of my jerk-off fantasy list, especially right after I got divorced. If I struggled to get out of bed before a shift with her, I could easily jerk off thinking about glancing at her ass and breasts all day. Remembering the way she smelled when showing up late with wet hair gets me hard. She didn't wear makeup and didn't need it at 19, young and beautiful. She didn't wear a bra either and had some of the biggest boobs on the Vegas Strip. All I wanted was to eat her out in the small manager's office before the shift or upstairs in the larger office during the shift. I remember standing side by side at the front door and she'd turn her head to the left, shake her hair, and start glaring at me with the most sensual bedroom eyes. She'd look at me like my dick was in her mouth, trying to make me come and mimicking the fantasy when sipping the iced coffees I'd bring her. It must have been obvious to the entire brunch staff that I wanted to make love to her during each shift, but I couldn't do it. My ex-wife knew who she was and even suggested I help her one night when her boyfriend was drunk and cut himself while threatening to cut her. I drove to her apartment around 2 or 3 in the morning, and she was with a police officer while the guy was in handcuffs. He worked with us too, but for some reason didn't go to jail, and they both went to sleep and showed up to work the next day. 
Amanda was coming to town with her sister, the flight attendant, former Miss Seattle, and recently separated after being married less than a year to a dentist. She's the one I got the puppies with, the squirting, super-coming ex-girlfriend. They were in Vegas and staying at the Luxor for the country music festival in the lot across the Strip. Two years before the horrific mystery shooting resulting in the death of 58 concertgoers. The crazy thing about this was several of the survivors ended up dying shortly after the event in random, unusual circumstances, like a witness elimination effort. I don't know if we'll ever find out the truth behind that night, and we probably don't need to. Originally, I planned to fly back to Vegas on Sunday morning, and I hoped to bang the Reno gal for two full nights. I changed plans and came back Saturday night because I was spent and wanted to see these beautiful ladies from the Pacific Northwest. Virginia was cool with me leaving early. She was probably tired of me, too. We had sex enough to where she was starting to smell like a football locker room and didn't take the hints when I kept jumping into the shower. I was having trouble getting hard, and as an economist, whenever the diminishing returns to scale argument occurs, I notice quickly. Spending another night seemed pointless, and flying southwest made it easy to change my mind. As soon as she walked in the lobby, I could tell she was blushing or wearing a ton of makeup and wanted to get in the elevators quickly. She didn't look exactly like her pictures, a little thicker, broader shoulders, and bigger hair, but still a sexy Snapchat model. Her boobs looked real, so I dismissed her being a dude, and as soon as we got in the room, we started making out while she unzipped my jeans. Within the first 30 seconds, she went down on me like she wanted to prove a point. She did a great job and nearly made me come in the first few minutes. The whole time I waited for her in the lobby, I was watching porn on my phone with the volume off, so I was throbbing, and her hands were tiny, making me feel bigger than I am. We were clumsy in the beginning. The first time I turned her around, I knocked her off the bed and into the nightstand. She hit her head on the lamp, which turned off the lights. I tried pulling her big round ass back closer to me, but her momentum took us both over the edge. She was fun in bed, and even though it started to hurt my pelvis, and she smelled like the smoking section of a Mexican restaurant towards the end, that first 20 minutes together was well worth the trip. For several years afterward, we'd joke about that night, like when she called me around 4.45 in the morning on a random Sunday night. She asked me to pick her up at the Aria Valet, which I knew was complicated, but didn't get frustrated. Instead, I was speeding on the 215, smiling at how lucky I was to be picking up a booty call at my age. I couldn't wait to fuck her while the sun comes up, and hopefully repeatedly the whole day. When she got in my car, the first thing she asked was if I'd bang her off the side of my bed and hit her head on my lamp. I lost touch with her around the time she started dating a former Nevada politician who'd lost his seat in an election everyone thought he'd win. I do miss getting her naked videos and late-night calls, but I don't miss all the drama attached. Government shutdown. The Fed might raise up interest rates again. Republicans might shut down the government if they can. The dumbest group of people can't take responsibility. They're constantly wrong, questioning others' ability. We've been here before, on the brink of shutdowns. The impact is diluted. The actors are clowns. Only applies if serious. That's not how they roll. Stories behind these guys need to own it whole. I want to know who is getting paid to obstruct. It started with Ted Cruz. Green eggs and ham. He's a cuck. Someone or some group 
keeps paying these losers. Hope they all ride to jail in the back of cruisers. Take the Tuberville example. Barely a mediocre coach prevented the military from stomping a roach. For months now, he's held up bosses from their promotions over the Pentagon helping women soldiers get abortions. Why the fuck does he think that decision involves him? How is it his business they risk life and limb? Well, he tried to coach and then somehow found himself running for Senate. We deserve to know how. Who was financing this shitty right-wing nut weakening our defenses specifically for what? How do we get to a point the whole country is weak because of one paid shill not on a winning streak? Why don't his peers call out rookie mistakes? No checks and balances. Maybe they're all fakes. And realizing this is tough on any mind, young and old, but it's more obvious with time, frustrating how bold. These old and young cons aren't there for any of us. They've been self-dealing so long, save deceit for the lush. And at the same time, Ukraine lobbies in fear. Ask Congress for cash, but will that check clear? Something is happening to the clues Republican ranks. Who's the most full of shit? Whose dad owns the banks? How anyone takes serious the right-wing agenda? They're robbing us all at the polls, please remember. They're getting nothing done, seeking out photo shoots. Their votes are bought cheap, wondering who's in cahoots.